We're starting in five, four, three, two. Let's go. Let's make this happen. Let's make this magical. Let's. Do you let's, remember exactly where we were when we left off? Chris was I, maybe almost in the process of answering the first question. The, uh, <laughs> the first, <laughs> first question that well, really, and what Al had said. Let me say this: okay. that um, Chris is definitely self-aware of his ability to speak on a topic. Um, I don't want to say ad nauseum, but uh, for <laughs> a lengthy. Late. Yeah. amount of time yeah um but and we we'd actually al and i went back and forth on this and i talked to chris about it too and uh we found uh chris very interesting so uh but chris had warned me from the beginning that his answers need to be cut off for the most part and i didn't know how true that was <laughs> until yeah, we got worked. into it but like like al and i both said they were interesting and we were learning and that's a lot of what we want to do here so uh and especially with these initial uh meetings of people where we you guys hear that yeah someone yeah. taking a shower we're, we're, we're uh who is yeah that? it's on, it's on my end of course it is <laughs> are you rolling off the keyboard sorry what what no, it's, rabbit ears. It's, truthfully truthfully is dinner that my wife is wonderfully making is it right fajitas? Now. But uh, it's picking up this. It's uh, it's grilled chicken. That's what it is. Well, I I, I don't think it, the, the grill is being used, or maybe it was yes. on fire. No, it's just it's maybe fifty feet away. So you sure she didn't order it, out it, from Sizzler? I promise. I promise. <laughs> I don't think I've ever eaten a Sizzler. Is that strange? I haven't either. I've oh. driven past it all the time. When I've I had friends LA, but... that have grabbed the microphone. They used to call that back. We're gonna need a, uh, a rib eye, uh, heavy on the eye, light on the rib. <laughs> I remember being at one in Wisconsin, and my friend, we call him the Blasker. And he uh, would grab the the microphone from the people and just go Sizzler. <laughs> <laughs> now, see, it's going to have to become a tradition uh, at least once. So we have uh, on the show uh, Al Jackson, who uh, is uh, part of the title with me, Frank Caliendo, Dave Houston, uh, who I grew up with, Chris Spangle, and brian love and uh, last time we did not have dave with us so he's going to add a little bit to the mix he's got some questions dave uh you had said something off uh, screen to chris mm -hmm. about uh, history majors minors and uh sure go ahead sure. well no i just i i have a background in in political science and history that's why i got my degree and i went to the you know some people call it the people's republic of madison <laughs> um, and uh, so, no, I just I, I was sad that I couldn't make the last uh, podcast that you had with Chris. And I'm glad that I could be here to to sort of add to the conversation, and ask a couple questions. Cool. Cool. So where do we where do we want to begin? Anybody uh, have a thought there? Chris, I'm sure you you. <laughs> I'm trying to have less thoughts. That's uh, no, no, no. It's all in 2019. You know, new year, new me. Um, well, we could go back to the, the question that Al, the cliffhanger at the end of the last episode was how do you reconcile uh i think al it was something along the lines of like you're f you're for the free market but at the same time you're kind of anti-media and how they approach certain things and 
how does that jive? I don't remember the exact specific. That, 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 that was it. It seemed like um, I felt like the media was uh, getting kind of not a raw deal, but a different deal than everybody else. It seems like uh, you were very open to people being able to buy and, and uh, buy products and sell products uh, to whom they want to, which I also have a little issue with that. Uh, but also uh, that you were then saying that the media is sensationalizing things using clickbait, which clickbait is how they make money from advertising because people don't use newspapers anymore. So it seems like the the, the news media was being held to uh, a different standard in terms of um, a, a, a business that is trying to generate a profit. Yeah, and it, it probably is a double standard, but I also have worked in the media my entire career. And you guys know that when you're behind a microphone, you do carry some extra level of responsibility. And I f think a lot of times the media doesn't necessarily use that responsibly. Um, so there's a couple different pieces there. The first is responsibility. You know, controlling a large audience online in a couple different places. Um, you, you, so I got a I got a photo today. Uh, you may have seen the the Catholic high school kids. There was a photo that one of my contributors sent to me this morning that he had personally found that was these kids, the spirit group, dressed up basically in not just blackface, but black body. And I was just like, you know, this is, this is not going to help the conversation. Maybe it's relevant. Maybe it's not. But at the end of the day, we would have been the very first people to publish this. And I just felt that that was not something that would be necessary, you know, to, to publish on We Are Libertarians. It would get a lot of traction. Maybe I'd get a lot of attention out of it. But at the end of the day, would that really help contribute to the conversation that's happening? You know, that's a very real instance where I feel a responsibility to say this this may be relevant for this time period, but is it important? It may be to some people. You don't think that that photo would add context to the conversation that we're having? Not really. And I'll tell you I, I think that uh, you don't know if those are the same individuals that you saw at the at the Capitol, right, or, or at the Lincoln Memorial, if the same kids that were in that crowd were the ones dressed up in blackface, then yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's relevant. But I don't personally have the resources to investigate that. Now the daily mail right. put that out. I don't know that the daily mail necessarily investigated that. They just said, here's the high school doing something outrageous and didn't really do further investigation. It was, you know, I got caught up this weekend in the outrage of it. It was such a, you know, the first impression of it was such a violation of appropriate norms that I was absolutely disgusted by it. And then, you know, the next day you're sitting here going, man, uh, I was completely inappropriate. Like, it, even if the original context was exactly what it was, is the appropriate punishment for these kids' photos to live on Google forever, to have Hollywood celebrities doxing them and, and encouraging, uh, essentially, harassment and bullying? It's like, wh where's the line? Like, I got too caught up in it, and I was irresponsible with my voice. And so I think that the media sometimes lets down their responsibility. As for, for the business model, that's, um, that's probably a longer conversation, but... Uh, so Chris, do you think that I'm sorry for stepping on your last sentence, but do you think that uh, so you 
So are you in effect kind of saying that the Daily Mail wasn't fully responsible in how they portrayed pictures that possibly weren't related, but tried to make them seem related in order to to gain viewership or subscriptions. I, I think the Daily Mail did what the Daily Mail does, which is take right. a piece of outrageous information, put it online, right. get a bunch of clicks for their advertisers. It's it's the same right. thing that we bash the Russians for. Well, the Russians came in here and post these, you know, these clickbait mills to try and get people to click on it and get outraged so they can get advertising money based on Google Ads or whatever. It's like America. You know who you're dealing with is what you're saying. Right. And so yeah. How do, is, how do you prevent that? You don't. You, is you, there a, let me ask you this. Is there a responsibility? Because I, I have times where I get flustered by watching, and I'm, just gonna, I'm using a broad term, a blanket term, the media in general. And I think some people do a very good job and some people don't of getting that research. And it seems like there's so much timeliness and ratings, and I understand that. But should it be something we all know? and realize that the media is profit-driven and then right. understand that from the beginning. And I don't know how you get people to learn that because mm. when I was growing up, we all just believed the news was right all the time, that they were just telling you the truth. And as news evolved and 24-hour news cycles and 24-hour news channels came about, it it became even more of trying to get you to stay and pay attention to it. But it, like to Al's point, is that do we as citizens need to be responsible and understand that's the country we live in and you're allowed to do that? Does that does that make sense? Because I've I found myself with the having that animosity the same as you at times, or or it seems that you have. I don't want to put feelings behind you. Because I get that way. I, I see things and I go, they're just trying to rile somebody up. What, what's yeah. happening here? And it works. And sometimes it works Fra on me. For the, for, right. Or at least what I think about that, because I've, I've, I've thought a lot about that. I'm glad you brought that up. And I want to hear, I'm going to just throw this out to you guys. I think about what you're saying, Frank, the same way that like people from my generation go, you know what? MTV doesn't show music videos anymore. It's not yeah. even music television. <laughs> do you know why they don't show videos? It's because when they do, people turn the freaking channel. Right. And I think uh, what happened, you're talking about uh, growing up uh, in an earlier time, Frank, I'm making this sound like you're from 1905. <laughs> well, but, I you know, appreciate it, young man. Here, here, here. Give me a second while I put my teeth in. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I think that the, the news was like that. And people came home and they got a very plain white bread vanilla toast. Uh, description of the news and that was the news as you knew it. We then saw cable news come in. They had a lot of time to fill. So you started getting people that needed to editorialize because there wasn't enough content. And what these what these places found out was that a person foaming at the mouth yelling about the Democrats, Democrats or Republicans or somebody even even that guy that was yelling about the tax stuff, not taxes, but the stocks. The guy that's like got his jacket off and he's screaming Rick sell and huh? it's because <laughs> Yeah, yes, that's how, that's what people pay attention to. So, like, I feel like we talk about the media like it's some giant in the hillside coming to visit the townspeople. The media is us, and it reacts to what we tell it to do. And it if always we wanted has. plain Jane media, yeah, if we wanted plain Jane media, the ratings will reflect that. And Fox and CNN and everybody will come right back to the center and do whatever we look at. They will put on. Period. Right. What were you the, starting to say, it, Dave? 
I was just going to say that that business model has been around forever, right? It always has been about division. There's more money to be made in division. And if you go back to yes. William Randolph Hearst or you go back to yellow journalism or, right. you know, the papers have always been like that. The news and the media have always been like that. That's the, the model they follow. It's what we're seeing now is really nothing new. It's just, I think, um, expanded uh, by technology. It's expanded, it's expanded by technology and it's maybe perhaps emphasized because we have the ability now to, to act as that bullhorn. Right. Uh, so it, it gets magnified. Uh, well, but, yeah. but the basic but the basic model has always been the same about about dividing people and sensationalizing and and, uh, you know, getting more eyes to charge more money for for uh, advertising. It's, it's, it's been, the reason there are headlines, right? Right. I mean, the, there's the headlines. Uh, snazzy headlines are what draws you in, even though you read halfway through and you're like, this isn't exactly what the headline said. Right. But it's it sells the papers first and the headline right. writer. A lot of people don't know this. People who write headlines don't necessarily. And I don't think a lot of the time write the articles. There's a person who writes a headline mm -hmm. and the editor deals with it and they put the headline on like cutting and pasting. And I think a lot of times true journalists get upset about the headlines that are on their articles because that's a different thing. That's a, a lot of times headlines are about selling the newspaper and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I, 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 that's the way it was when I was in school, going to school for mass communication, uh, journalism. I was, I was, I was amazed by it, but I don't think everybody knows that stuff. And that's why, again, I keep pointing this out. That's why I like doing this type of show and talking about this stuff. Cause I don't think everybody thinks to look at that stuff. There are plenty of things in life. I don't think to look up and see how it's actually put together. And we have little insights of our own and learning from each other and, and learning about this stuff. We just get somewhere in that. So Can I've been I, uh, play to, uh, devil's. Oh, go ahead. Well, I just want to pick back on what Frank said. So I've been talking to some local journalists and, and in talking to a local uh, news editor here in town for a local TV this, station. And, and that's Indiana, Indianapolis, Indianapolis. Yeah. Mm. Uh, the, the NBC affiliate here. And then also the, the, st one of the stars columnists, you know, they both said, we don't do news for television. We don't do news for the print newspaper anymore. We do news for online. That is where our business model is taking us, you know, and, and the star here in town is owned by Gannett and they're, they have a, a, a company that is going to take a look at taking the company over and buying it out. And it's a hedge fund. And the hedge fund is wow. built on, has built a ton of click mills. Now, this is Gannett newspaper. Most of your hometown newspapers have Gannett. And so this, you know, the idea that a hedge fund that only cares about profit and squeezing out every little bit of revenue that they can from your hometown newspaper you know, the Indianapolis Star is the one that broke the Larry Nassar case open with the gymnastics uh, scandal. You know, hometown journalism really does make a difference. And so you're talking about a company that is digital first, cut every single thing that you can, flip, the, flip it to make more money. It, it, they're really a pirate organization. And I think what will happen with a lot of these local media entities is that the people of Indianapolis, the city fathers, the, the big money here in town will take a look at this and go – it's untenable to completely gut to con I mean, where would you cut your hometown newspaper anymore? And they'll buy these news outlets and say, let's start looking at it from an NPR or a pro publica model where we know you're going to lose money. Just do good journalism. I hope we get to that point. 
But in the meantime, we're just dealing with people who are writing headlines to get clicks to make their corporate entities happy so they can show uh, uh, an increase in the balance sheet. It's really kind of a perverse business model. And so you have you as a consumer can't do anything about it. You just have to be aware that media outlets think this way. And so you have to find a balanced media diet. You actually, Chris, are speaking to the devil's advocate question that I was just about to ask um, in response to both Frank and to Dave regarding the business models. Although they're there to to make money, that's their MO. Do you think that there are conglomerates or powers that be whose motive is strictly to push their agenda as opposed to do what the public is is asking for. And you basically answered one side of that question by talking about a hedge fund running, running a media outlet. Um, I guess I don't really know one way or the other. I was just wondering if in your experience, you think that that's happening more so uh, like in the forties or fifties where, or even back as far as William Randolph Hearst, um, when, when that was driven by the men who had power as opposed to what the public was asking to hear or was, mm-hmm. does that make sense? Does that question make sense? Yeah. Yeah, it yeah. makes perfect sense. I mean, from my standpoint, I think what you're getting at a little bit is, you know, this this concept of liberal media bias and um, it, correct me if I'm wrong, but, you know, is that really what's taking place or is it strictly profit motive? Right. Correct. Um, and, and if the two are in conflict, which one wins sort of thing. Right. Um, from from my side, and I, I'm going to get this number wrong, but I want to say that, you know, 90 percent of the of the media out there is controlled by, I think, four or five major conglomerates. So, yes, mm-hmm. you know, it's all controlled by a certain small group of people. Um, but in terms of like a, a liberal bias, I don't particularly believe there's a, a liberal bias. I think some of the commentators have their own opinions that, that skew that way. But I think, you know, this is this is about shareholder value. This is about generating profit. Right. Um, they'll report on any on any story from any side that that they think will will drive the bottom line. Um, so from that standpoint, I think that the profit motive outweighs the sort of bias. And I think what you're getting now is in order to differentiate themselves within the marketplace, they have to decide, okay, if you're outlet A versus outlet B, how are you going to separate yourself from the masses, right? And I think what you're seeing is, is Fox has chosen to, to go uh, farther right and to sort of say, okay, we're going to occupy this space in the market. Right. And we're going to we're going to nail down the space. And, and, and CNN has always been sort of in the middle, but now they're starting to tilt a little bit more left. MSNBC mm-hmm. way over on the left. So everybody's sort of staked out their claim to a certain segment. Right. Um, and it and in doing that, what what they're actually doing is they're ginning up more business. Right. Mm. So rather than everybody being sort of moderate and in the middle and and bland, they're becoming more and more a separate brand that represents something different to the people, right? So, well, in all six and purposes, you're saying their target market. Like exactly, their target market. And then, you know, I mean, I, it, you know, it, it's almost like, a, it's like Tupac and Biggie, right? You know, right. Is, it a, is it a real fight or is it we're fighting to sell more papers, right? 
or we're, set, we're fighting to sell more albums. That right? was a real fight, by the way. They're both. <laughs> that was yeah. <laughs> yes. You are, yes. <laughs> but hopefully no, it but doesn't. I understand, I understand what, you, what, what you're saying, Dave. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I understand what you're saying. <laughs> I don't know. I'd like to see Rachel Maddow take on Bill O'Reilly in the ring. Oh, any day. <laughs> that, that brings any. it back to MTV celebrity death match. <laughs> oh wow! I yeah, I remember that. Let me, let me add a little historical perspective because you know, I've studied a lot about this, trying to answer this question. And, you know, I found like if you go to Rushville, Indiana, there's the Rushville Republican or Corden, Indiana, the Corden Democrat. Mm-hmm. The idea that we have always had this media that was just overarching and fair and balanced like that, that really only kind of existed in the 50s, 60s, 70s. Before that, in the in the era of Randolph Hearst, if you go a little bit back into the Civil War era, the pre-Civil War era, it was all partisan media. Here in America, it all started at the founding. If you go back to the Alien and Sedition Acts, mm-hmm. there's a great book that I just read called Liberty's First Crisis by Charles Slack about the Alien and Sedition Acts. I just finished that, too. Did you really? No, it, I'm not. <laughs> I, finished, I just finished Clifford the Big Red Dog. That's about my level. <laughs> But when you read this book, you realize the very first Congress is just arguing over whether or not they should let uh, immigrants into the country. And then they're trying to crack down on media. Ben, Benjamin Franklin Bache, who ran the Aurora, which Ben Franklin's grandson, right. was totally against John Adams. And they passed these laws to shut the guy up. So you, when you, I think we make the mistake sometime when we look at our present time going, wow, things are getting so much worse instead of going – uh, we're just kind of repeating the same things. History just has this rhyme to it, and we're just kind of discovering what our grandfathers discovered and their grandfather. Like it's, I, I don't. I think partisan media has just always been a part of America, and it will always be a part of America. And it's kind of a foolish errand, uh, fool's errand to say I'm a libertarian, so therefore National Review and uh, the nation shouldn't exist. Hmm. That's actually a good point. Well, I've, I let me broaden this out too. Is it more that we see and hear everything now? We didn't used to have everything. Like I keep seeing these uh, stories about terrible things happening to people, the kidnappings, all these crazy types of uh, uh, serial killers that have been. Could this stuff? Is it that? People are getting wackier and weirder, or are we just able to hear about it more now? And I, I used think to think it's people are just more. Yeah, I used to think it was people are just getting worse and worse and crazier. But I now we like just know. Both. Yeah, right. I feel like it's right. a little bit of both. There probably is some, but the ability to see it all going on mm. is crazy to right. even you couldn't have fathomed that 10, 15 years ago. I, Frank, I there's, there's uh, a book. I mean, uh, there, go ahead. Somebody talk or I will. Oh, I was I, I was waiting for <laughs> Al to go. Actually. <laughs> no, I mean, it's just like I, I always say this. And as a matter of fact, I was saying this today on my talk show. Um, I think that there is this uh, to, to to look back on the days of yesteryear with this wonderment like, oh, those are the good old days. And man, how did things get so crazy? It's just it's not that it's more crazy. It's just, just that you're aware of it now. Uh, you look mm. at something like. Uh, child molesters. Uh, you know, when you talk to somebody that grew up in the 70s, these kids, they just stay inside all day and their parents are helicopter parents. My parents would let us ride around and we'd be out from 8 o'clock in the morning to 8 o'clock. 
do me a favor and put your zip code into a child molester's website and see how many sex offenders are around mm. your neighborhood. Mm. Those guys were that didn't just come around when the internet came out. Those guys have been around forever. That right, kind right. of mental delusion isn't new to us, and it's it's selfish uh, for us to think that we were the first generation to bring that in. That's been around since the beginning of time. Pedophilia, uh, ch- uh, preying on children. And what happened was a lot of those kids got molested for years and nothing was done about it. And so like when we say, wow, those are the good old days, the the seventies, the eighties, the eighties, people were strung out on, 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 on crack, uh, on, on cocaine. They used mm-hmm. uh, a crack to put a, a generation of black men behind, behind bars. You look at the sixties. I mean, we had wars going on. We had our country where in 1968, we lost RFK and Martin Luther King. Happy birthday, Mr. King. So Dr. King, so it's it's just like, when was it so good? We just know more. We just know, you know now that your neighbor's a a jerk and letting your dog, their dog poop on your lawn because you have the ring thing on your door, which is a camera. So now you can look at work and see, oh, he's letting his dog pee. You just know, as as opposed to 20 years ago, you'd be like, hey, how you doing, Mr. Caliendo? What a great neighbor. He's not. He now you just know him. So it's more about like, do you want to know or do you want to be in the dark? The pig, to piggyback on that is you look at the Larry Nassar case in gym, the U.S. gymnastics, you're be able to build like a coalition of people really quickly standing up like the R. Kelly thing is a great example. Without modern technology and social media and the ability to connect people really quickly, something like surviving R. Kelly immediately brings about justice. You know, that, now, there's a flip side with like these kids from this weekend where it's like, oh, we should have taken a minute. But. Right. The, the power structures are much more challenged in the modern age because we have the ability to communicate, and that's good a lot of times. There's even uh, one that is actually a very hot topic is the relationship between um, our police force and those in the brown community. Um, without th- That can be a complete podcast for another day, but, uh, but the idea that there is such act accessibility just through your cell phone does one of two things. It enlightens the community on what has been going on for hundreds of years. No, not hundreds, but tens of years with the police force and those in the Brown community. But it also makes the police force's job tougher because they're, they're not only held to an accountability and standard of what, they uh, the oath that they take, but now they also have to to be accountable to the standard of being judged through the media or actually, yeah, being being judged through the media without ever having to go through any type of due process. So, yeah. And I um, think that but that's the difficult thing is a, a slice. And I, I don't want to take anything away because I, I agree with you wholeheartedly in terms of uh, is a friend I mean, just, of mine yeah a, just my personal a, experience a friend, alone you right know. a friend of mine Chappelle who Chappelle Lacey who lived here for a while mm-hmm. um a black man who would get pulled over just for being black for yeah. no no reason whatsoever and if you met him he's, he loves punk rock he's you know the most mm-hmm. jovial nicest guy in the world stand-up comic heart of gold um wonderful wonderful person and this hadn't happened to, to him a bunch, and it, it happened to him fairly recently in the last year or two. And he 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 didn't even know what was going on. He was just so right. thrown back by it. Or, um, but my where I was going with that was, 
so the video so the video happens and a piece of it gets out there and then people run wild with it and don't right. know the whole thing and i don't want to sound like it's that old uh well you got to see the whole thing all the because the, the, a lot of times the whole thing is just the same thing as that small little slice that you've seen but people start to form opinions so quickly and the news gets that stuff out there so quickly and i i apologize that i'm talking about something so important at this point as that no it can i'm happen, with you though I think but because it can happen you. with something that's not that important which might not even happen as much uh, because i do know how much this happens um and they the media goes out and runs with it but that's kind of their job to take that chance but at the same time there's that responsibility you're talking about <laughs> It's very, I, I just in the world we live in. It's just so tough to to figure yeah. out where wh when you do this. It illustrates the importance of journalism. I think this weekend really illustrated that with both the BuzzFeed thing and the and the uh, Lincoln Memorial issue. Journalism is important because you hear journalists talking about working on a story, which means they hear an initial source, they go and talk to another source, they go to a counter source, they spend time kind of working through a bunch of different sources and documents and fact-checking it. And then when they figure out what the truth is, then they publish that. That's how that's supposed to work. Mm -hmm. But I think a lot of people are frustrated because we see things in real time. You have journalists that you're supposed to trust immediately uh, tweeting out things. Uh, you know, a lot of people follow me and trust my word. And then I let them down this week because I was just so instantaneous with my outrage mm. and took it too far. And it's let like, me, let me ask you this. Stop. Can I stop you right there? Mm -hmm. So yeah. what do you do? Do you, you, you've now are in the same spot of the people you're very critical of, mm -hmm. right? Does it make you understand their side more? Or... Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And I think there is a lot of um... what just came across your screen. What was that? <laughs> what was that? It was a lemur. That's what, That's that, what was, that looked that like. Was, that well, was, uh, what just happened? I like to move it, move it. That's what that <laughs> no. was. That came you have one of those in your house? <laughs> I have two. I was completely I didn't hold even on. Hold, it hold on. Wait a second. Is that the libertarian lemur? <laughs> is that a mascot look at me <laughs> what? What? really what was that that looked like My daniel cat. boone's hat i <laughs> you're not well i i think it, it does, gives you pause and you kind of go okay like with the buzzfeed thing it's a lot of people talking about well, well break give the background on that so everybody knows what exactly you're talking because not everybody so BuzzFeed basically said, we think that Donald Trump instructed Michael Cohen to lie. And what did Ooh. I say about that? It's completely false. <laughs> Rumor. Fake news. Fake news. It's O'Doul's fake booze. <laughs> and so, so and, and it, they have a lot of egg on their face because it wasn't very well sourced. But at the same time, it's like, we got to get this out before anybody else does. Right. And so you have, you have to look at everything through the, the, uh, the lens of incentives. And so, you know, your incentive in a lot of ways, like, A, on Saturday, it was going to make me feel good by being on the right side and really getting this little smug with his little smirk. And it, it just, like the incentive there for me was it feels good. And I was giving commentary and see, this is what Trump has done to our society. And and I was thinking about myself, first and foremost, journalists. The incentive a lot of times is, well, to do your job, you have to do it this way or else you're going to get fired and replaced. And these corporations set up bad incentives. So you have to look at we're we're doing this on a day. Uh, very few people are just altruistic. 
you know, nonviolence is a rare characteristic. We're celebrating a day for Martin Luther King because he was altruistic. He was nonviolent. We're holding up those values as a society saying we need to be more like that because so few people actually are because the incentive is give in to the anger, give in to the hate, give in to just staying silent when something is wrong. There, it's, it's a lot of different incentives. Like if you look at Martin Luther King's life, he he didn't have a great life. <laughs> he chose to stand up and say this is wrong. You know, new technologies helped, uh, and I'll finish here within the next two minutes. Uh, so <laughs> the you had new technology where you had white America in the north going. Listen, I may not be for Martin Luther King, but I'm watching on television these Southern cops sicking dogs on people, and I'm definitely not for that. And I think that technology has benefited us by showing us the good and bad in society. And with the situation like with cops, it's like, okay, I'm for the police, but I'm not for that. And that's the conversation right. that I think we're kind of having, but also in a weird, perverted way on social media. It's it's not working. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, well, again, it's like with the, the discussion with police, and I mean, the, again, this is a conversation for a number of podcasts that could just be its own mm-hmm. entity. But I mean, yeah. it, as, it, as it pertains to kind of the point I've been making with the media and everything else, again, we cannot look at the police like they are just this sentient being. They just kind of, they just act on, on their own accord with their own laws. The police do what their community wants them to do, whether it's unspoken or not. Uh, the sheriff that you hire, if he runs on a, hey, uh, we we take a no-nonsense approach to, I'm the, I'm the law and order guy. That's code for I'm going to bust some heads about people that don't look like mm-hmm. and don't live in your neighborhood. There's a reason that certain neighborhoods, as a black or brown person or as a multiracial couple uh, in certain areas, that's that the police couldn't be more bored with. You could even sit on your sit on your, you know, sit out and, 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 and be unbothered. But there are places where if Brian and I in a, in a regular sedan, a Hyundai, mm-hmm. go driving up in some neighborhoods, we're going to be magically pulled over. And it's uh, it's not a theory at this point. It's not like, well, we'll have a debate about this point. It's that it will happen because mm-hmm. it's always happened. And the reason that it happens is because the police know that that's what the people in that neighborhood want. They're like, that person does not look like somebody that lives in this neighborhood. Pull them over. You're not seeing... It's because we were in the Hyundai. That's what... Right, that's right. Yeah, black men in a Korean car, come on. So, yeah, yeah, (laughs) it does have a lot to do with that, though. You don't see a lot of, you know, uh, 16-year-old white volleyball players pull over. It's not a thing. But there's a reason that you kind of see the same thing. So when we talk about the police, we have to be uh, intellectually honest when we say that they are representing the needs of their consumers and their consumers, the people that do pay their bills are the taxpayers of whatever county that they're in. Well said. Yeah, I think I, I think you're definitely right. I used to live in in uh, Wauwatosa on 62nd Street, and 60th was the stop bragging between. So, but 60th was the dividing line between Milwaukee and Wauwatosa, mm-hmm. right? And literally, you cross the street, property values go down fifty thousand um, dollars, and and you have a situation where there's a term for it that everybody would use. It was DWB. Any yes. any driving while black, right? Uh, any yeah, African American, yeah. any African American, especially African American male youth, driving across 60th into 61st, 62nd, what have you, you know, would invariably be stopped. Um, 
And you're absolutely right. I mean, it, it, it is a, you know, as long as, as, as everybody was kept to the left of 60th, it was fine. Once they crossed 60th, well, then now we have to pull them over. And what's so. interesting to me in reference to Al's, uh, Al talking about the media and how it pertains to the media is now, uh, it was something that the community noticed, but now it's something that half of Facebook or right. Instagram will notice because someone else in the community will show it happening on their phone. So then it immediately becomes a trial via social media and everyone who feels as though they have a platform based on Instagram or, you know, you know, so many, you know, Snapchat, whatever the, whatever the medium is. So it, it just, um, it, I think just to what Chris said about how it, it in the grand scheme of things isn't working, but what it is doing is it's sparking more conversation than it did in the past. Well, I think if you look, if you watch the Philando Castile video, it's pretty hard not to think this is just a right. this is just an execution. Right. Now, but it goes back to incentives. I think we go all oh, the cops are racist. It's the cops' fault, and it's like that cop in the Philando Castile video. There's also it, it triggers in me some empathy because you hear the guy freaking out, and you go, "Okay, what are the incentives, or what are the what are, what are the training did he have, or what what how did this happen?" I think that's kind of sometimes where we miss the conversation when we focus on the outrage because we want justice for Philando Castile, but justice also demands that the person that shot Philando Castile have a fair trial. And we understand exactly what happened in that case and like what, and it goes back to the local sheriff that you elect. It, it goes back to the mayor that appointed the police chief. Like we have to focus on how these things happened and do it meticulously Instead of just going, what, I'm so angry, all I want is this person to be executed. But the we, Castile, we, the Castile the example is, is a tough one for me because of, because of how it happened. But, but I absolutely hear what you're saying. Well, I, I just, Chris, but I would just say this to, to your point. Uh, you, you know, I think that, and also, Brian, what you said when you're talking about uh, being judged on social media and judged uh, in a court of law, on social media, these cops are tried and convicted immediately. But in a court of law, I believe of all the murders that we've seen of black men and women, uh, I believe two yeah. have been convicted. Correct. Two out correct. of thirty or forty, including including Trayvon Martin. Let's let's not forget George Zimmerman is walking around right now like us. I mean, oh, he is. He's he, down here in Florida. He <laughs> murdered a boy and beat up his girlfriend. He's in, in you know, and he's not even white. Yeah. That's well, that, that's how valueless uh, brown and black lives are. This guy yeah. just followed a kid, killed him, and got off, and then went and got a girlfriend and beat her up. And he's just uh, and now I think he's selling the gun he killed Trayvon. I mean, it's, oh, he's just a geez. he's a rotten human being. But it does. I mean, when you let think about the optics of that gentleman and what that says without saying anything. When you look and all these officers are getting off from you know the the guy that. Choked Eric Garner in the front of uh, in the front of that convenience store. Eric Garner was selling Lucy's. Lucy's are uh, it uh, was he CDs or the guy that was selling cigarettes? Lucy's he was cigarettes. cigarettes yeah. yeah, this is New York, right? Yeah, twenty yeah. five yeah. cigarettes. And it's just like that. Just shows you like how valueless that that uh, uh, that that our, our lives are met with. So there's a reason that that black men tense up around police because we just know that. 
if anything goes down, I'll be dead and there'll be a couple I'm sorry, I'm sorry, and he'll be put on desk duty. But for me, I mean, I think that's why I never get pulled over. I always do the speed limit. I, I always try because I have been assaulted by the police. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I can't put myself in that position. I, I, I just I, I know I, 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 I would rather get pulled over by a gang member than a police officer. Well, I want to, you know, you look at the Lachlan McDonald police officer that just, you know, when he, when I saw that he was guilty, I was like, oh, finally, we're going to do this the right way. Mm. And then he gets, you know, a very light sentence. Uh, You look at the cop in Houston, I believe that, you know, got drunk and walked into the wrong apartment and shot somebody. That was not the wrong apartment. She knew where she was going. Right. You look at it and you go, okay, every single uh, chain of custody here was not followed uh, and if and if the black male had had done the same thing, you better believe that the chain of custody for the person that shot someone would be followed. There is an imbalance. There is an injustice here, and it does need to be corrected. And uh, it, it, it just that's why it's a it's a power structure thing. The power structure will always protect its own. Exactly. And that's where social media can be effective. You know, and I think that's where people I consider myself a right leaning person. And I look at it as the system of power is corrupt. And you look at it like, listen, I'm I'm a black man and it's a racially motivated imbalance. At the end of the day, the problem needs to be solved. And that's where we can come together and say, here, mm-hmm. we may look at this. Mm-hmm. We may look at the elephant and you have the trunk and I have the leg. But at the end of the day, we're both looking at the same problem. Let's work together to fix it. Not agree with that. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, good. Well, well said, Chris. Why don't we get back? Um, I think we got very specific there, which was great. Uh, uh, back to a little bit more uh, um, about some of the libertarian uh, mm. ideals, because that's the the general stuff we were talking about last time. And one of the mm-hmm. conversations I had with you, Chris, uh, when we were back, when I was in Indiana talking to you, and it surprised me because you were so uh, hardcore libertarian, libertarian. But you, you personally, I feel, acquiesce quite a bit and believe, well, this might be in theory great, but in, in practicality, it doesn't work. And you were talking about schools and even unions and how in certain unions, you were, you were for a private union, not public. Um, but it surprised me because I, I didn't, I, I wasn't. I wasn't in any understanding of that you would move that way at all. I, sometimes when you think of somebody and they they label themselves something so strong, that's why I stay away from any kind of label for myself is because I, 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 I worry about the same kind of judgment I'd put on somebody like I was putting on you, even though if it wasn't, I don't mean like in a negative way, just like assuming you were going to say one thing and then you said the opposite. And I was like, wait, what? What? That can't that can't be. You're not just worried about only principles. You're worried about things actually getting done. And that was great. And I was like, I want to hear more. That's one of the things that made me want to talk to you was you seem to make decisions based on that practicality. And I don't know if I don't know if everybody does that, but it was great to hear that that you did that and really. You know, at the same, it threw me for a loop. But at the same time, I was like, oh, that's awesome. I want to hear more. I'm a man without country. That's for sure. I, I, a lot of libertarians, you know, I don't call myself an anarchist. I think if I were to design my society, it would be fairly uh, governmentless. Um, 
you know, which we can talk about a different time. But, uh, you know, these these are my principles. These are my beliefs. And I work towards moving society in that direction. Uh, there are a lot of libertarians who are destination libertarians where it's like this is the destination. This is all I'm going to advocate for. Everything else is violence and you're using the force of the state to punish people. And I'm I'm much I have a more moderate personality. I grew up wanting to be a journalist and, you know, watched I wanted to be in the media. And I think when you have that kind of brain, you want to understand the world and then try to work within its limits. And I understand that there are people who just don't have that same kind of mentality. They say, this is the world that I want to advocate for, and I need to be principled, and I need to stay. And it's not that I'm not principled, but I also realize that I can't convince the four of you to change every belief system that you have or every mindset that you have. Like, you guys are in your 30s, 40s, 60s. You have, <laughs> you know, you have ingrained beliefs for your entire life. And my job as a communicator is to meet you where you're at and try to convince you that my way of thinking is the right way. But I have to be really patient with that. And I also think that there has to be some compromises on some things. I think on things like cultural issues, uh, I, I don't I don't like I don't believe in using the government to force anybody to do anything that I believe. Uh, that to me is an uncompromising position. I, I think that part of the reason that we have an issue with black men and police is because of government force. So, like, let's start with the root issue of it. But, you know, when you're talking to people, I just I like to um, I try not to be arrogant and think that I just have all this wisdom at 35 and that that I know everything. I come off like a smug know-it-all, but I really do try to, <laughs> to understand other people. I have a lot of conversations on a daily basis, and I just think listening and try to get different perspectives like al you know i know al having grown up in in a different place in a different city and a you know in different socioeconomic structures maybe i don't know your background but you know like it's tom, tom griswold and, and al are a great example like they get on the radio together and they're from very different classes i can say that because tom grew up fairly privileged but they get along and so how, how does that work what's that dynamic it starts with respect starts with treating the other person like dignity w with dignity it starts with understanding that you may be wrong and you have to accept when you're wrong and apologize for that and um, you know also I just think respect is the fundamental value that we have to start with when it comes to these conversations and laying down your pride a little bit and going I have these beliefs these are my beliefs these are the really health closely held beliefs and then there are other beliefs that mm, we can negotiate on some of that stuff mm -hmm. so I, I think it starts with first, the, the way that I got here was first understanding my personal beliefs, understanding my personal values, and I had to start there. And it's been a 15-year-long uh, process to kind of work out what I believe and read a bunch and understand like how I feel about certain things and understand my bias towards things. And then once I did that, then I felt that I could really engage the world more. But I think you have to start with introspection first. It sounds like a lot of work. I'm just going to read celebrity <laughs> tweets <laughs> and agree with them. Kathy That's Griffin, so much easier. Do what she says. If, uh, you know, if, if Cardi yeah. B says it, I'm going with it. Well, oh structures, in yes. cultural institutions like religion, political movements, libertarianism, conservative, these play important roles in society. It is a way for you to – it's – brain software right so 
you you go and you engage with the religion and their ideas. It's people who have worked on the same ideas for thousands of years. And you can catch up pretty quickly if you just read a few different books along these lines. But like read read Howard Zinn at the same time that you're reading William Bennett <laughs> and reading, you know, Ron Paul. So cultural institutions are important because they help us kind of catch up because it is a lot of work, but you have to realize right. your brain's not coming up with anything that a thousand people before you haven't come up with. So go get on Google and search. Ron Paul 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 I did the tonight show with Ron Paul. No, it was one of, it was either the, it was tonight show or it was one, a talk show. And he was maybe the most non-political politician I've ever met where he's just he's just saying people are bad people and in, in <laughs> like on both both quote unquote both sides that he wasn't on. I was yep. like, you're what how who talk more, talk more. And then they wanted me to um they wanted me to say that I supported him on the Tonight Show because I was talking, I was like, that sounds great. That sounds great. They're like, we just got, and I don't know if this is true, but they said we just got Joe Rogan to to say, I'm like, well, Joe Rogan, and this sounds almost funny for me to, to say, but um, it's Joe Rogan's way more educated on this than me. I'm not going to just jump out on national TV <laughs> and say I'm for somebody, but what you're saying is very interesting. And I did start to learn a little bit more about him. He had, you know, people would always say these things that, he had all these bills he had that put into you know that into congress and nothing had ever been passed and then <laughs> but my understanding was after that and from talking to some people even trying to read a little bit um but that he didn't put a lot of pork in there he didn't put he wasn't trying to finesse anybody and that's how a bill gets passed right you work a right. bunch of people over yeah. he was just trying to get specific things done and that's not what happens but but Frank, did you did you like him because of the ideology or because of the fact that he was an outsider? I think there was some of both. I think there was a little bit of everything that uh, some of the ideology, yes. Um, but I I just liked that he was telling it like it is and being very honest and stuff that I you know I I talked to other people that were running and you could they were careful about every single right. word mm -hmm. to the point where like I don't believe you I don't right. believe a word you're saying. And maybe he tricked me. Maybe he tricked me by talking like that and got me on his side that way in terms of just liking him as an individual. No, no, but no. I remember how hearing John, you know, John Stewart say, but John Stewart even said, how come Ron Paul gets no press? And it's, it, it, that was years ago, but there is truth to that. Um, oh my gosh. Daddy, I, Daddy Paul I... would never steer you wrong. Daddy Paul always told the truth. <laughs> and and within, the, within the libertarian movement, there is a lot of love and respect for Ron Paul because he always told the truth. Whereas Rand is much more suspect because he is a much better politician. And he mm -hmm. is a little bit like when he ran for president, you're like, eh, is he with us? Is he against us? Like, where does he stand on things? He's, I'm not going to vote for this nominee. And then he votes for him. And so, yeah, but R Ron Paul, I think, people are so hungry for any bit of authenticity that Ron Paul, Bernie Sanders, Donald Trump, these people stand out because they don't seem like they're lying to you. Right. That is, oh my gosh, you guys, you and uh, Chris and, and Frank are hitting on something that's so interesting to me. Stay with me while I make this point. As we are the only mammal, humans are the only mammal that suffer psychosis <laughs> other than ones that are caused by um environmental or behavioral 
uh, stress or trauma. What I mean by that is, is everything that we do, we're driven by order, categories, Mm -hmm. everything has a place, even as simple as boys and girls, left and right, uh, front and back, like we, we, we know where we stand in society and, and where our beliefs fall and have um, relevance and validity based on our order. So we hear that someone is an independent or a Republican or a Democrat or a Libertarian or an agnostic or a Christian or a Muslim. We immediately start to form, immediately start to form what we think we know to be the platform of that person's belief system, which we probably have zero clue when first meeting someone, what their life experience is, where Mm. they're from, what their travels have been, what their family is made up of, um, the trauma that they've dealt with. So uh, it's it's, uh, enlightening. It is refreshing to hear that when you sat on the couch, Frank, you were kind of like, wait, I don't really like this guy. Like, I don't, you didn't you didn't allow yourself to immediately go with what you may or the little you knew about libertarianism to affect you being receptive to what it was he had to say um and i think because of the categories that we use as society when you know hate him or love him when donald trump came along everyone said this is refreshing he doesn't fall into any of those categories that we have created and so I'm going to vote for him or I'm going to back him or I really like what he had to say. Bernie Sanders does did well, mm-hmm. did, has done that his entire career. Um, Ronald Reagan did that as the actor. Arnold Schwarzenegger did that as an actor. So I, it's um, I think that's refre- one refreshing. thing I throw in. I think you we do all absolutely. There's categories, but I think people don't always know what categories they fall in. I've seen it so much. Agreed. Agreed. Because I remember my father-in-law telling me he, he'd voted Democrat his entire life. That's all he goes, I'm a Democrat, Frank. I'm a Democrat, Frank. I go, okay, th- th- that's fine, wh- whatever. And then he's, he took a, um, a quiz, an online quiz. And it okay. told him that he was, after doing it, it was a CNN type of quiz. At the end, it said moderate Republican. <laughs> Wait, what? And, and, I, and, and he was like, how can this be? I said, because you don't know what things stand for. And he could have been a blue dog Democrat. It might've been Mm -hmm. those kind of go pretty close to each other. Um, You you know, again, you're trying to categorize something that doesn't necessarily need to be categorized, but I just think it's for people not to say, well, I'm, I'm a Republican or I'm a Democrat. Think about what people are, are saying and doing. And if you agree with that, yes, but don't just join a team. I think the team is the, is the toughest thing. I don't know if I talked about this last episode or what, if I have just stop me. The, our elections, the presidential elections are now two, they're at least two years long, right? It's <laughs> yeah. two years of waiting and you join a team. You basically in, get so engulfed. Part of your life is so much about, I hope this person gets elected that you begin to tie so much emotion to it that if they lose or they win, you're like, yeah, or no. And then it's about beating the other team all the time. And that's what I think politics is now. It's it's supposed to be, well, one side when the pendulum swung, right? The pendulum swung a little bit. 
it's going to swing back. You just have to have patience, which we don't have a lot of anymore. Right. But it's that patient swing that it's going to come back a little bit uh, one side or the other. If it starts to swing too far and and there might be a point where it, it doesn't. But I think we really do get so much emotional tie to these candidates that you don't even you don't even think for yourself anymore you just go that my guy said when people say that with donald trump they go this and then you talk to them and you go but what about this and this they might go why well, that that's not what we're talking about yeah it it, it is it is right and i think i think frank that this this wall um you know discussion that's going on right now is a prime example of that right where it's not necessarily about i think pretty much everybody that that you can imagine agrees with border security and border security would include some some degree of wall right mm -hmm. not necessarily a full you know coast to coast wall but some degree of wall and it's become uh the wall has become a symbol of making sure that the other side loses that's yes. all that this is right now. Yeah, I believe we that. can't even have a rational conversation about what would border security include. But basically, at this point in time, it's nothing more than making sure the other side loses. Yeah. So I have a theory on this, and I think that uh, this is one of the goals that I have for my podcast is to kind of rectify what I see as a key problem. We have made politics and all that entails in that Americanism as a whole into a religion into a secular religion to replace the pieces of identity that our great-grandparents or grandparents had. Okay. You know, my great-grandparents had, they were German-Americans in southern Indiana. You know, people had a rich community, a face-to-face -face community, a small group of people where, where animals designed to live within small tribes of people. And I think we're being driven literally insane right now because we have so much hitting our brains, which are still evolutionarily the same as they were 10,000 years ago. And as you have seen the, as you have seen like the, uh, the Lions Club, the Rotary Club, churches, uh, all these little places, all these little pockets of identity, small neighborhoods, uh, you know, my, it, it, you look at the homogenization of American culture, you just, you just see a lack of community. And so what has replaced that community, this sense of identity, the sense of community on the national stage and so people, I'm a Republican. And so what brings, what, what comes with that is that, that prime, prime, uh, that ancient, <laughs> I don't know the word, I'll pick a different one, that ancient uh, idea that we must fight because you're attacking me. And I think if we can break out of that, start building up our local communities, engaging with each other on a communal level, engaging in our identity that isn't tied to this stop being so insecure about our beliefs because we're replacing that insecurity with actual knowledge then we start to see a much better society because you know if your whole identity is i'm maga 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 or i am a barack obama democrat or i'm a bernie sanders and and you weep if your candidate loses like you're a person that i think is emotionally unhealthy and you need to find something beyond now, I know my whole identity is the libertarian guy for the most part, but I'm an uncle and I have this group of friends and that group of friends. And so I can have these conversations. I don't need Al or Dave or Brian or Frank to agree with me because I'm going to hang up and I'm going to go, hmm, I'm going to think about that more. Or I hope they think about that more because I've done more research on it, you know. So 
Right. It is that lack of community and replacing it with this bigger identity that's really, I think, the root cause. Well, in back with when, even what I was talking about there too with with my little theory deal. Last the, the other night when uh, the Rams and the Saints played, there was a play near the end of the game that was pretty much blatant pass interference by the Rams. And the all Saints fans felt completely ripped off and angry. They're emotionally invested in their team, right? And they see that play, and that's the only thing, and myself included, I, I, because I know some people on that team, and I, I'm like, they're, they're just completely ripped off. And that's awful. They, this, this game has been stolen from them. Now, Rams fans are going, yeah, but earlier in the game, there was a face mask that wasn't called by the saints and we would have scored. So whoever you see things for your team and mm -hmm. you see everything is either going against your team. We learned about that in a media bias type of class, like the, uh, with confirmation bias and, uh, and, and when you read a newspaper, a lot of times, this is a newspaper back when I was in school in <laughs> 96, they talked 94, 92, 93 ish. They talk about, you know, you read it and you're immediately looking for what 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 you don't believe or what you think they're coming from. If you have some type of uh, a belief that's different than what they're saying. But my point in this is you watch that Ram Saints game. Lots of things could have gone either way and made big uh, were moments that were very important and changed the game. But people look at certain things and it, when it goes against your team, it's the end of the world. And mm -hmm. I see that happen. That's why I, I look at this political thing as being teams and a sport. And it's almost like when your candidate loses, you put all this time, you're wearing their, uh, their jersey, mm -hmm. you got their bobblehead, and now your, your person loses and you're like, ah, I hate this other person. It, well, you have to live with that person for a while. And then in four years, you get the chance to vote again. And that's just... And your man think, spent a hundred dollars on bobbleheads. <laughs> I think Frank. I think Frank. What's even more destructive, though, is is when you start to ascribe certain attributes to the other side, right? And I think going back to that, going back to that video of the the teenager smirking at the the Native American elder, right? I have to admit, if he had not been wearing a MAGA hat, I probably would have given him a little bit more leeway. Right. And and so it's you, you see that instant snapshot and your mind. I mean, and this is what this is what has helped us survive through thousands and thousands of years is the ability to look at any situation and quickly, you know, deduct what uh, you know, what is a threat and what is not. But when you see that MAGA hat, you automatically, if you're on the left, will assume a certain um, uh a certain reason profile, for that interaction, profile a certain profile, part. right? Right. It could be totally incorrect, as it was, in my opinion, in this case, I immediately jumped, jumped on the bandwagon that, uh, you know, this kid was 100 percent to blame and let's figure out who he is and and make sure he never gets into college. Right. Um, but, uh, you know, but, but honestly, hey, I mean, that, they, that's they, sort they, of the, isn't helping me with you. But then but but the good but the rough. good part of this story is I'm actually <laughs> glad it turned out to be the opposite. Right. That 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 wasn't necessarily the case that I do that I am able to look back and say, wait a minute, I jumped to an assumption that I probably shouldn't have based on a red hat. Right. So right. let me ask you guys. Uh, sorry, go ahead. No, it's you, Chris. Okay. Let me ask you guys a question. The emotions when your team loses in football 
are probably the same emotions I feel when my team loses literally every election cycle. <laughs> uh, <laughs> every single well, time. Well, you shouldn't be siding with the refs. <laughs> All right. Trust me, I don't. Um, but those emotions are the same. Those emotions are very real. But what is the difference between when your sports team loses and when your political team loses? It's a good question. I think, I think when your political team loses, I mean, it's hard to, 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 to think, but it does affect people's lives. I mean, if you think about what's going on with this administration in terms of stocking the Supreme Court, I mean, you could have your repro- reproductive rights, however you choose to. We're not getting in that argument. You could have those affected in terms of them no longer being uh, legal in your state. I believe there's only one abortion clinic in Mississippi. It could affect your taxes. It could affect your Medicaid. Uh, I know the CHIP program was taken out, and that had to do with uh, there was just a fund of money for kids that had certain needed surgeries but couldn't get them. I mean, when you when you elect a new administration, they could they could cut programs that uh, could affect you. I mean, we're seeing how these tariffs uh, affected the Midwest and and uh, how they're you know there's a domino effect with everything we do. So I do think that. Uh, you know that that that's the difference between that and your sports team. I think right. right. So what is it? Let me ask. Let me follow up because I want to ask him a couple questions. So what is what is the underlying reason that it's so important that you win every single election cycle because of those very things? Right. If you don't obey, then eventually someone with guns or the tax man comes because you didn't obey, and that is. And there are a bunch of people on the other side of the argument going. Barack Obama meant this for this and this for this and the death panels and all this stuff. And so the the reality is that we have chosen to use that violence, that force to create a game where everybody it's a it's a binary game where everybody if I don't win this, then the other side is going to force me to do what they want. And I refuse that. And so it's a very tribal game. And so instead of focusing on nonviolent solutions that don't involve forcing people to live they don't, the way that they don't want to live, we should be having conversations about how do we work together to build a world where you get what you want and you live the way that you want. Because I'm a pro-life person, but I'm under no illusion that no matter how illegal you prohibit abortion, it will always exist and it will still continue. And as a pro-life person, I'm just going to have to accept the fact that abortion will exist in, in any society that I live in. And so I would rather not – I would rather use persuasion instead of force to get other people to live in a way that I think is beneficial. And if they don't, that's their choice. And so I think that's why we're all so wigged out. And so the, the libertarian viewpoint is that the force is the problem, and it is, it is the thing that divides us. And so instead of focusing on should you buy these razors or not, it's should you be forced to buy these razors or not, you know, in a very simple example. So let me play devil's advocate with you real quick, Chris, um, mm-hmm. if the little bit of time we have left. So on the other side of that coin, the force is being used in whatever manner of fashion. Um, do you think that – and you can completely – um, answer me, you know, openly. <laughs> do you think that that force is completely unnecessary or do you think at times in order to create the order I was making reference to earlier that it is necessary, not necessarily to um, to 
completely impede upon somebody's belief system. But at the same time, someone may think it's okay to do 90 miles an hour near a school zone when there are a bunch of kids at the school. But the force is, is you are not allowed to do that for the safety of the kids. You're not allowed to go faster than 15 miles an hour in a school zone. So, um, I guess I'm asking, yeah, advocate, what do you think? I get, I get what you're saying. Yes. The reality is that people will choose based on their own incentives, whether or not they want to speed in a school zone. The people who have no regard for others will do what they do mm-hmm. and they will suffer the consequences. It doesn't matter how many laws you pass by and large. Most people will just do whatever they want to do unless they're persuaded of the right thing. When you try to force people to do things, they rebel. And so, I can't answer that completely because part of being a libertarian is the constant practice of being a libertarian. A new thing pops up and you have to work through it in your mind and try to understand because it's such a different way of thinking than how we've ever been taught. And so uh, how much force should there be in a society? Uh, There there are a lot of compelling arguments uh, from people like Murray Rothbard that there should be none. Um, but I fully haven't worked that out. I don't know that I would I would buy into well, I, private courts I, and things like that. So I, 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 don't, I, have I don't have an answer for you. Just uh, I just have a question. Do you think it's it's a little bit uh, disingenuous to have that stance for anybody to have uh, your stance when at the same time you are indirectly benefiting right now because of some form of regulation? Let's say you and I have a house next to each other. You have property value in that house. You maintain your home. And uh, I like to have nudists over. Mm-hmm. And uh, not only do I like to have that, we blow up 50 foot, uh, you know, giraffes and we have a party. Uh, we don't keep the music too loud, but we just congregate in my front yard. Uh, that affects your property value. Uh, mm-hmm. If I decide to paint my house pink with green polka dots next to your house, that affects your property value. So you do have. Uh, housing commissions where you can say, hey, my next door neighbor is digging in his backyard. I don't know if there's a, a, a gas line back there. You do have some regulation. And I think you or in any human being would uh, use that that order that the government provides should uh, your next door neighbor, Al, decide to walk around with no robe and your daughter's outside. But I think, I think about, that, well, go, uh, go ahead. Sorry. No, no, no. So the this is a common question. It's sort of mocked by libertarians and who will build the roads, right? The we, we are on the downslope of government power. The American Revolution was an enormous step forward in liberty and freedom and saying you have personal responsibility. Individuals are free to choose. Uh, it started with John Locke. We're talking about 400 years of the idea of individuals being the the ultimate source of power and they have self-government that's a brand new idea in human history before that you had kings and you had tribal leaders and you had you know the idea that you have that that order right instead of you are in charge of yourself so in a lot of these situations when arguments like that are presented it's hard to imagine this different way of thinking because there haven't been a lot of people trying to work through the solutions in a private way in that specific example. There are a lot of people, a lot of libertarian theorists that I won't bore you with their names who have kind of worked on that kind of stuff. People like Walter Block. I will bore you with one. <laughs> I won't bore you with names <laughs> like the following. Corey, Corey Rothbard. Uh, <laughs> so 
Um, so there, but that that is a very small amount of the human uh, animal, the human brain, the 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 mindset trying to work on these problems. And so, do I have an answer for how every single specific instance would work in a free society? No, I absolutely don't. Uh, and but I don't think that it's well, necessarily. Well, let's just use that. Right. Let's just use that example. We have dual, we have uh, properties that are next to each other. It, right. Is it is it of your mind state that Al Jackson can do? I'm really not. I'm really curious. Sure. Is it is it of your mind state that I can do as long it, it, what I want to as long as it's not impeding on you? So it's uh, would it be like as long as the music's not too loud? As long as like what what. Like who determines like what's too much? Because maybe for you, me having um, a car in the driveway and not putting it in the garage is is an eyesore. So or leaving the the lawnmower in the middle of the lawn, like maybe that's too much for you, or you might not care. So I'm I'm curious, like how would that, how would that work just with these two neighbors, Chris? So and everything everything depends. A libertarian society depends on empathy. It is the driving motivator when you when you ov- want to overcome someone else's individualistic instinct i would walk over to you al and say listen here's how you are affecting me in the following ways um i think most people when presented with a a polite conversation would go you know what you're right i'll tone i'll tone it down i'll do this but at the end of the day if they don't follow suit then i have the freedom of movement so i can leave secondly a lot of a free society would depend on contract, a lot of homeowners associations. So th- think of it in those terms. So there would be specific rules that people would voluntarily agree on. The problem that we have now is that I live in a city and we live under a government. This was Jefferson's argument that he didn't believe that we should really have a constitution because it's up to every generation to decide the rules. You know, the five of us should sit here and converse about what we think is acceptable behavior. It's not for some guys who own slaves. Strip clubs every Thursday and Friday. (laughs) And so when you're having those conversations about what, what kind of society, what kind of social norms you'd expect, you're going to uh, uh, eventually through spontaneous order, shuffle into communities of like-minded people. You know, spontaneous order is is illustrated by birds flying in the air. How do they know how to fly in a V? It just happens. So uh, how does prettier for it to see a group of different birds? And you see the birds flying in a V because they're all of like mind and the same purpose. And I don't know if that would break up the tapestry of America if we just had a neighborhood of hippies, a neighborhood of skateboarders, a neighborhood of tech guys. And I think neighborhoods are cool when a lawyer lives next to a photographer and a judge lives next to a nanny. I think that that creates some kind of some kind of inner weaving for a neighborhood to become a community. Al, don't we already have that? Like, uh, I, I, I mean, wouldn't you look at wouldn't you look at inequality and in, like here in Indianapolis, like all the white people live in Carmel and West Clay and I live on the south side in the middle of all the Vietnamese and the Burmese. Like, well, uh, there are there are places where it does and has happened. And again, just to your point, it, it happens because of economic reasons. Uh, but I guarantee you a lot of those neighborhoods that people came from are colorful people. When you walk down the street and you hear four different kinds of music. Uh, I think that that does something to the brain when you see different kinds of people. But again, you're right. I mean, there's always going to be an economic barrier that, you know, hopefully will be uh, minimized, but it'll never be surmounted. 
you, you value, of, uh, Chris. value let me make this one quick point you value diversity alan you will find other people who value diversity i value diversity i think everybody in this podcast values diversity you will never be able to force someone to value diversity if they just don't and so it's it's like why waste your time trying to force them to shuffle into certain places when they aren't going to fit there I will so be honest. Chris, oh, go ahead, Dave. Go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, I was just gonna. I was gonna ask. You know, in a libertarian society, what creates the stability and the structure? Right. I I think of things like the EU, right, as an example of a number of warring states that have been killing each other for hundreds and hundreds of years. Decide, even though they still don't like each other all that much, that we have to have this union. We have to have this economic interdependence for one reason, and that's to create the stability and the peace. To allow us to to, to prosper, and yeah. I think <clears throat> as an intellectual exercise, like I'm, I'm really attracted to libertarianism, especially on the social side of things. But it, it seems to be more of an intellectual exercise than an actual practical application. Because if we all sort of did what we wanted to do, it would be extremely fragmented, wouldn't it? We already do what we already want to do. Like we, there, there. We live in a free society. I host a podcast in Indianapolis where I rail against the government, and nobody knocks <laughs> on my door and tells me that I can't. Uh, you know, I had my tires. I had the tires taken off of my car, and these guys stole the tires off of a car next to a police car three months ago. The police didn't do anything about it. It really is up to me to protect my property. It's up to the property owner of the apartment complex I live in to help me protect. So the notion that the police, the police don't even have uh, a constitutional, uh, like there have been Supreme Court rulings that say the police do not have to respond to you if you call 911. So the mm -hmm. illusion, you have the illusion of control. I definitely know that. <laughs> yeah, you have the illusion of control to maintain obedience. And I think in the case of the EU specifically, the reason that mm -hmm. you see far right groups starting to rise up in places like Germany with the, a I think it's ADF, uh, the the people who live in East Germany who were under communist control got a late start to capitalism. They got a 40-year late start. And so many of the poor in Berlin are are still poor. And so Angela Merkel lets in all of these new immigrants. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, people are fighting for scarce resources because the nature of bureaucracy is to limit resources because government is an inefficient use of human uh, capital. And so you you bring in these people who don't share the same values as you, don't speak the same language as you, and all of a sudden now they're competing against you for resources, and you go, yeah, okay, that's it. Maybe the Nazis are a good are a good plan. And it's probably unfair to call the AFD Nazis, but that's kind of uh, the, the, the rap on them. These far-right groups in Europe, right, Brexit. If you watch HBO, you watch the Brexit movie with, uh, with Sherlock, uh, there is a scene in there that is fantastic where this woman just starts screaming – uh, you you don't know how bad it is where I live. The reason that it is bad, if you look at some of these charts, there's a great economist named Mark Blythe, and he gave this talk. It's on YouTube, and he talks about how wages after World War II, after the Industrial Revolution, start to go up at the same rate that pro productivity goes up. Then when Bretton Woods happens and they start using the Fed to inflate money, inflation goes way up, productivity ways go goes way up, Wages stay completely stagnant. Well, that is because of an artificial interference in the, in the uh, monetary system. It created a lot of inequalities. It created a lot of poverty. And then the governments are fighting these sorts of inequalities. So 
Right. It's like building a dam. The government, in a lot of ways, is a dam between you and me and our personal interests. The way that you order society is through you and I voluntarily cooperating with each other. Right. But but at the same time, I would say the past 60 years, Europe has known something that it hasn't known for 500 years previous, and that's peace. Hmm. Uh, wouldn't right. you say there's more democracy in Europe than ever before? The more oh, that's freedom. True. That's true. That is true. Kings, based on their vanity and pride, used to send bodies. I mean, listen to hardcore histories, World War One, and the atrocities of World War One, because kings and politicians were too embarrassed to say we're losing this war, and they drafted people to go die and to get thrown into this meat grinder for their own pride. The individual person who had this, the authority. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You force people to go into war. So we haven't given it a shot. We haven't. It, we are at an intellectual. You're right. I am talking about intellectual things. But the more you intellectualize it and start to realize that you have control over your life and no other man should, the more people that I can reach, the more people will become libertarian and it will become less theoretical. Yeah. Hmm. Well, All right, who wants to sign up? <laughs> well, I, I will tell you this much. There is there's a man uh, of senior age down here in South Florida who was recently on the news in the last couple of months um, for, uh, shall we say, gardening and cutting his lawn uh, in the buff. <laughs> yes. Uh, and this is a real news story. Yes, it actually was happening. And when he was reported to the to the authorities they said in all actuality in this county of florida we cannot arrest the man for being on his own property as long as uh he does not cross a property line or walk out onto the sidewalk or the street i want to build a world where the greatest concern you have is (laughs) naked man (laughs) that is um 117 years old in his <laughs> in his, Chris, in his I, I, know, I know you're i know you're a cool dude but you would have a problem with it yo if, i mean if it's, your, if it's your daughter's fourth birthday and you guys have a bouncy house out there and here comes you know <laughs> Zaggy. Zaggy. Yeah, some yeah. folks Zaggy were like other folks yeah they were like wait a minute man i mean come on they and then some folks thought it funny other other parents were quite upset so i found that to be he, he is definitely act. of the libertarian idea. <laughs> He's going to stop when his sack hits the blades. It, uh, it was pretty close. I mean, I'm just saying. And we've close. devolved. Yes. All right. Uh, Chris, do you want to plug uh, your stuff? Yeah, we are libertarians.com. Uh, please give us a listen. We are. Um, we post something every day, so there's a lot to chew on. You can follow me on Twitter at Chris Spangle. Uh, Instagram, Facebook. Feel free to follow me. If you have questions, send me uh, a note at editor at wearelibertarians.com. And at, at our, uh, alanfrank.com has everything for us. I'm going to enjoy some Girl Scout cookies. I got accosted by <laughs> friends. They're like three sets of friends came by our house today. I'll tell you what. I could have used. I could have used a naked old guy in front. I'm <laughs> <laughs> trying to get my petunias. Um, so alanfrank.com, all the information for this. Uh, thank you, Chris, for being on with us, uh, Dave. You're I hope awesome, uh, you got a bunch of the questions in that you wanted I did. to. I did. Uh, excellent, and uh, we'll see you next time. Very good, everybody. All right, kids. Stuff. Love y'all.